Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Christopher Babiodi. Christopher is a naturopathically trained nutritional therapist, frequent flyer, and a flight attendant for the UK's largest airline. Having flown 18 years on long and short haul, his experience covers all types of flying with in-depth knowledge and insights to flying healthily long-term. He is also the author of the book, Farewell Jetlag, Cures from a Flight Attendant. Christopher, thanks so much for coming on to today. Thank you for the introduction, Gary, and I'm really pleased to be here to share some of the knowledge of what I've gained and what I've um, found useful um, for flying. It's actually 20 years now, but yes, I'm really happy ah. to here and um, and um, offer your audience uh, something valuable in terms of how to stay well while flying. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, two decades in the year, so you, you're going to have lots of knowledge bombs that you can drop for us for today. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping so. Yeah. So first up, just before we get into the nitty-gritty, I want to ask, talking about flying and sleep, there's a weird pillow out there, the ostrich pillow. I don't know if you know it. Have you ever seen anyone actually use that on a plane? So if anyone doesn't know what it looks like, I'll, I'll see if I can share something or I'll put it in the show notes. But it's it's like an octopus head thing. I just want to know, first up, before I get into questions, have you ever seen anyone wear something like that on a plane? I can't say I have. Um, it's the one that kind of envelopes you, right? That's yeah, the one. Your whole no, head. I yeah. No, <laughs> I haven't seen anyone with it yet. I'm sure... If any of my colleagues would have come across it, they would have probably obviously taken pictures of it and posted all over um, our, our company pages on social media. So, no, I haven't seen anyone use it just yet. Okay. No, I was just wondering. It's the, it's, it is the most wacky pillow I've ever seen, but I don't know how comfortable it is. Um, so, I've got you on because you're a jet lag expert and you're going to be the first person talking about jet lag. And it ties in with what I've had with previous guests, which is circadian biology, like body clock stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, we all, a lot of people fly. I love flying. I love traveling. So I would love to know, like, how do I actually hack my travel experience so I get the best experience out of it? And that's, you know, where I'm going to try and get the info out of you today. And I think what I'd like to start off with is, is there a difference then between jet lag and jet stress? And how would you explain that to people? Okay. Yes, I say there is. Um, jet lag is what you get as an infrequent flyer, so to speak. And jet stress is the chronically acute condition that tends to dog people who fly often uh, on business uh, or for work um, on a regular basis. Um, jet lag is something you get over, even though, and, and it's implicit in the word lag. So your body clock and the symptoms are lagging behind you and your travel schedule, i.e. you're catching up to wherever you've come from. Um, jet stress, as I like to term it, is that idea that you travel week in, week out, and therefore you don't have time to catch up. So you fall further in debt, whether it's related to sleep, uh, whether it's like related to minerals, vitality, energy, any of these markers that you can define your health by are deteriorated by the fact that you're locked up in a tube for up to eight, 
10, 15 hours, depending on where you go, on a regular basis. And it becomes draining to your body's immunity and your health. And you tend to lack the vitality needed to perform at your best if you're not forewarned and forearmed and prepared um, um, for that type of, uh, of, a, uh, of a journey. And I, the, the, the major distinction that I like to point people to is that one is a jet lag is a condition, but jet stress is what I would say a lifestyle. If you have jet stress and if you tend to look at the challenge of jet lag through the lifestyle lens, um, then you have more options um, at your disposal to come away with tools that are useful and uh, help you reverse that. Okay. So I guess that what I like there already is that there is a difference between infrequent and frequent flyers. And depending what category you fall into, there's different things you want to address or things you can do to help make the experience more pleasurable. Um, so you're an attendant, so you definitely are in the right industry to be able to, to mention this. Cause I've always wondered how do pilots and flight attendants actually deal with, you know, going through multiple time zones and the f- amount of flying that you do, you know, um, you're, like you said, you're always up in the air, in the tube, just like it, what is, did you get taught anything as an attendant bef- um, t- to actually learn how to cope with this stuff or is it just shared amongst your peers you know you're in the crew and you're you're about to fall asleep and think how am i about to do another serving or something and i I just wondered how how does it work uh really great question um and there are a couple of answers and i'll try and feed them into each other as i as i answer the question but in all honesty when i started the 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 airline that i work for had three pieces of information hidden away in a booklet about the Uniform Wearer's Guide. And those three pieces of information were drink plenty of water, keep your mind active, and get enough sleep. And provided you did that all that long period of time ago, the supposition was that you would be able to manage um, at least the, uh, the requirements of the job quite well. But things have moved on quite a lot since then. And the way I came to the knowledge that I have now is that just as I was entering um, the workspace, I trained as a nutritional therapist. I finished my training and my dilemma was then that I was flying and I couldn't initially maintain a regular clinic of people because I was always away. So I then started looking within the people I flew with who were tended to be around me or understood my work pattern for my client for my clientele and that led me to see patterns patterns that i had to overcome myself and i to the scientific literature as to what was happening and how the growing body of knowledge that has now become chronobiology and the offshoots and the biohacking and the supplements and everything else um, was coming into being and still is as we speak because it's a developing field and things are changing all the time and putting those together and seeing what works with myself and my clients became the foundation and the basis of what I actually teach people. So in that respect, um, I have a methodology, which to keep it simple, I call the farewell system. And that methodology is what I teach people. And it's grounded in experience as well as theory. And it has the science to back it up from the areas of chronobiology, nutrition, um, supplementation and things of that nature. So no t- 
typically speaking, I wouldn't say that every flight attendant and pilot out there is adept um, at managing their travel schedule as such. Those that tend to be adept at doing so are so simply because they have a greater reason to be. Just like I had my greater reason, which was I was running a clinic and I wanted clients. These people come from a similar um, dynamic in as much as that they run businesses outside of flying or they have a sideline of some description or they're looking after people or they're the only breadwinner and they have to go home after a long flight and function fully. And the ability to do that is so important that they go out there looking for means and ways to make sure that that is something they're able to do. And in doing so, I wouldn't necessarily say that these people have the full array of tools that are out there but flying alongside them, having some of them as clients and working with them, some people have one aspect of it and that's what concerns them and that's what works for them. And others have another aspect and not the first piece. And just looking at that and playing with that is what, uh, what I coalesced around in order to bring um, the, the, you know, the, the system I use with my clients to being. So it's longer than three pages. <laughs> yes <laughs> it's longer than three pages but it's um i think it's I, I like to say if you can eat if you can eat uh sleep and drink you pretty much can do it and i say that simply because as a nutritional therapist what i'm what i'm gonna necessarily going to recommend alongside anything else is going to involve doing those three things but yes it is longer than three pages <laughs> <laughs> yeah um because so it's nice to hear so when people are listening to you that you can relate to jet lag and jet stress because you've gone through it yourself and then you had to hack it and figure out how do you mitigate it so that you can keep doing what you love and keep traveling and not be like a zombie when you land on the other side. Um, so what are some of the symptoms if if someone doesn't quite quite know jet lag, if they have somehow never experienced it, but what would you say would be some common symptoms that people would associate with being jet lagged uh the most common that most people talk about is the insomnia um does that kick in straight away not for everyone no and funnily enough for uh, flying crews be they pilots or um or, or crew as such it's not necessarily the first one in as much as that the challenge tends to be a lack of quality sleep not the lack of the ability to sleep, which I guess is what would typify insomnia as such. So the quality of sleep is something that, again, I would say is chronically acute because the detriments build up over time, if not tackled and worked with. And it can be something that people tend to just put up with because they are, they are at least in their own eyes functional and therefore it doesn't garner much attention. Um, but besides insomnia, one of the easier ones that tends to be overlooked um, is, is constipation, actually. It's, <laughs> the, the environment in a, on an aircraft is drying. Um, constipation and dehydration, those are, those are um, specifics. And then people tend to then, on top of insomnia, think of things like um, not, you know, just not sleeping well, um, cardiac dysarrhythmia I, I believe is the technical term which is where your body clock is out of sync and it takes a fair amount of time depending on the individual to slot back into time 
back into um, the the time of the local zone they're in before they go on their next trip. Not everyone has that luxury, um, but people manage it in yeah. some way, shape or form. Um, energy, that's another one. Um, the fact that you're, you're on the go, you can't always refuel yourself as you'd like can be a challenge. And sometimes that leads on to the ability to maintain a weight or, you know, have hormonal disruptions. But when it gets to what I would say the, the critical point, I would say things like adrenal fatigue, because that is the apparatus that is actually managing the entire gamut of things that are happening um, obviously triggered by things like cortisol and insulin and things of that nature. So that's almost like a gateway uh, whereby if people cross that, cross that threshold, um, it tends to be, in my experience, um, something that needs a, a full attention in order to rectify. Otherwise, it can be uh, downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah, and as you said, you know, the longer you stress your body, the more likely you you're going to hit that critical point at some stage where you thought you were coping, you can handle the ins and out, but next thing you just can't cope anymore and you can't seem to get over it. Um, so that would get me on to my next question, which would be, we mentioned earlier the difference between infrequent and frequent flyers. So yep. I would like to try and maybe get a little bit of practical here. If I'm an infrequent flyer, so I'm not, uh, I'm not in your situation. Um, I, I've just booked a holiday. I want to go off to the States. You know, I'm, I'm living near the UK. So I, the way I would think about it, is there something to do as an infrequent flyer that I could do before, during the flight and then after the flight? Are there any little tips that you might be able to give to someone to help cope? Yeah, definitely. Um, Although it's not my preferred method of approaching the subject, I get people who are ask me things like that similarly quite often. Yeah. And normally the, the, my next question would be, well, what, I, what is the symptom picture you're dealing with? Because not everybody is going to get there and not be able to sleep. Some people, that maybe it's a trip of a lifetime or a really well-deserved holiday, so they're pumped to be out there and they're just going, 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 going for it. Um, some people, it's the reverse. But things like um, if you have a challenge with uh, cortisol, for instance, there's a hack, which is that there's, a relation, there's an inverse relationship between cortisol and vitamin C. So high levels of vitamin C throughout your trip are very good. Okay. So that's going to keep the stress levels down. And then there's a, a relationship between... Um, melatonin and cortisol so it impacts that in as much as that when melatonin is on the rise cortisol is down and your morning cortisol level rises which is part of the awareness that you have to wake up at the time that you wake up so you can sort of like manage it through that way if it if that's the type of challenge that one has when one travels um i believe it's the edinburgh sleep center and chris dr chris itzikowski mentions quite specifically that there is a moment in the 24-hour cycle that is uh, more susceptible to influence as far as the circadian rhythm is concerned. And that is at the, uh, at the sunrise of the local time, wherever you find yourself. So if you were to step out um, into that sunlight, it has a more enlivening effect, a more entraining effect to help you get onto that local time. 
That's a useful tool. Um, the other one that I like to couple with that is uh, the, the the grounding movement or the earthing movement, and it's it's scientifically proven um, that the Earth's magnetic fields, just as we absorb rays from the sun, we have geomagnetic fields coming up through uh, the Earth, uh, which are beneficial to us, and they've been proven to be the ultimate antioxidant. And that is in training in itself. And the, the, the subtle thing I would layer on top of that quite specifically, which is not everyone, people know it, but don't necessarily recognize its usefulness in this context, is the fact that if an aircraft is flying at 36,000 feet and it gets struck by lightning, all the instruments stay fine. They don't short circuit and blow out or anything. And that's because the aircraft is not grounded. Aircrafts aren't grounded. And that allows the electricity, if they're struck by lightning, to pass through the aircraft and to hit ground and everything stays intact. The fact that the aircraft's not grounded pretty much means that you're not grounded when you're on it. So when you're on the ground, you want to ground to reestablish and drive off all that positive um, electricity that you've accumulated. So you want to make a habit of earthing yourself either through going out and being in, you know, in the garden or um, a local park or something, park or something yeah. like that. Or if you want to go that step further and be uh, adept at using this tool, get yourself some grounding tools like a grounding sleeping bag or a grounding mats or, you know, grounding bands that you can wear and make sure you plug into the, this, this beneficial um, level of antioxidants which help you uh, maintain um, your health, basically. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting because I think I did come across somewhere where I thought that the um... – the plane was grounded if you touched the metal part like the uh, on, on the on the um like the chair so if you took your socks off and you touched your toe to the metal part of the passenger chair in front of you or something that you were grounding but it you're not right well gary it's funny you should say that because um i've heard people say that but i'm yet not convinced and maybe it's semantics but i've i've had the experience of people seeing this ball of what I can only describe as electricity going down the aisle. Whoa, well, and, you know, he didn't didn't run into any of the metal frames of the aircraft. And I I know someone who did actually try and do that, and I never really heard back from them that that was sufficient. And this was one of the UK people who first brought the grounding products to the UK um, to distribute them. So, yes, I have heard that. But as yet now, I haven't had anyone explain it to me with, you know, and convinced me that, yes, that this is a viable way of grounding. I've also heard people say you can rub your two toes together and you become grounded, but I don't know how you get from, (laughs) you know, in a positive state and just rubbing, okay, you're creating friction and that might drive us some static, but is that the same as grounding? Um, Not to my knowledge. Uh, Maybe if you rubbed your toes on a genie bottle, that would be a little bit different. (laughs) You can make different wishes. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, if you hear any more about that, I'd be interested to know. But um, um, yeah, as yet, yeah. it was just something I think I picked up a long time ago, and I thought, oh, that's an easy hack to do, just to keep healthy whilst on the plane. But um, I love that you brought up grounding because that is actually the one thing I found the most beneficial. So if I ever do a long haul flight, um, you know, leave the plane, go find a local park, take my shoes and socks off, and actually just sit there and just chill for a while, just grounding to the local earth. 
Um, and then hopefully there is still some light and, you know, I'm getting the light effect to kickstart me. So you kind of get a double whammy once you, uh, once you landed. And that's um, so brilliant that you should say that because here's the thing. When people start out with this process, they might do that. But another layer, again, is this idea that we're almost, um, what's the word? Um, we are, it, 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 one, of the, one of the principles that I teach is this idea of entrainment. We are naturally entrained to this atmosphere because human beings have been on the earth for however long, and this is our home. And the surface of the earth, or where, you know, the, the, the surface of the earth, whether it's the mountains or at sea level, that's what we're used to. So we're entrained to that. So when you remove the human being from that or the normal cues it gets, what you then have to start doing actually dovetails with something very specific in chronobiology. And they call them Zeitgebers, which are which German for time givers. So the the, the research that I've seen suggests that we are in this environment and we have cues and all those cues make up our sense of time because time that we use now is an artificial construct. The real time can be based on place, environment, internal, external, cues outside, the light, darkness. So if you can recreate those, you can actually tell your body what time you want it to believe it is. And to a certain extent, it will do that. So when one goes out and grounds oneself, even if you do, do, if you do that for a couple of hours and you find it's useful and then you start to feel the pull of the previous time zone you're in, you then need to recue it. And then you recue it again and you recue it again because that is how we naturally have an understanding of time around us. So they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. If it's lunchtime, go out to lunch with people, be in that environment. Because as creatures of habit, we reflect these subtle cues and energies off from each other. And it becomes a useful way of actually making sure that you, you get on local quicker, acclimatize mm -hmm. quicker. Yeah. Okay. And, um, Another really important one that I heard you talk about in a previous podcast was water. And I'm really interested on your, on what your ideas are, how to optimize the water that you drink when you're on the plane. Right, right. So um, basically, we have an understanding, we take water for granted. Um, but the truth is that water is there to help us conduct. And that leads us to what is known as structured water. And structured water is the better type of water to help you conduct electricity. And the human body has a mechanical aspect, um, it has a biochemical aspect, and it has an electrical aspect. And if we can, uh, I've heard it said, I think it's the body electric, I can't remember the author's name now, but the body electric basically gives us an understanding that we are a wet cell battery. And as long as we're able to conduct and hold on to charge, then we have more potential. When you take off on an aircraft, that charge is drained and you accumulate more static. The whole uh, mechanics of the way the aircraft works um, puts lots of positive ions, the opposite of the negative ions that you want, the, uh, the antioxidants, 
um, and electrons that we're, that we're seeking. So if you, can't, if you bring it back to water, water has the potential to conduct electricity and structured water does it best. On an aircraft, I think we have to take the view of being a gorilla, you know, by which I mean in war times, I think is it the Americans got defeated by the Viet Cong for the first part of, of the war or what have you, simply because the Viet Cong came in with nothing they massacred and killed people and took all the stuff that was there. So they didn't have the hassle of trying to get all of the stuff to the location where they were fighting and they moved on. And that's how they, they worked. Well, as a frequent flyer, that's kind of like the attitude you need to have. So instead of trying to think, well, how, how do I get my structured water that I've bottled or the best water that I've brought onto the aircraft um, past security onto mm. the plane, what are the things that I can use? And, one of the best products out there is known as Mega Hydrate. Um, it's a product by Dr. Patrick Flanagan, um, who's now being well respected, but initially it was poo pooed by the, uh, uh, the, um, the scientific community because I think he wouldn't release the, uh, the, the, the papers that related mm. to, to, uh, to how it worked. But I'll, the, what we know is that it's based on glacial runoff water which is structured water and has that ability to um, conduct electricity. And the difference is if you have good structured water, it has, um, uh, it's measured in dynes and basically it means that it, it has, it has a low surface tension is the word I'm looking for. Low surface tension wa water means that it rests so well in the cellular structures in our body that it's absorbed better and this absorption of good structured water enlivens the cells and to work on top of that now you have i think is it uh, uh dr george pollock i think it is of yeah jared um, jared pollock yeah jared he, pollock. he talks a lot about structured water yeah and the fourth state of water yeah. and that's that it's like this gel like and this this gel-like fourth state of water is known to surround our DNA or some of our critical um, uh, processes in the body. And the more we can get decent water into our body and help that process along, the more hydrated we will be, the more functional we will be, and it enhances our ability to hold on to electricity, which is important when you enter an environment that is working actively to drain you of that kind of resource. So as a flyer, um, I travel with Mega Hydrate, and it's just a, uh, it's a, a supplement um, whose basis is silica hydride, and it's got a lot of hydrogen in it, so it helps you restructure and keep you hydrated um, as you fly. Okay, and so is this? I haven't. I've never seen. It. Is it like um, a powder or a capsule or a tablet? Uh, it comes in both forms: a capsule uh, and powder. Um, and you can get get this past airport security. Well, um, yes. <laughs> um, you might. You know, I might ask. They might ask you to, you know, to open it up so they can see what it is and test it. But it's never been a challenge. It's never been a challenge as such. But I must say. Uh, it, it might look suspiciously like cocaine or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I just wipe it away. No, <laughs> I, I tend to use I tend to use the um, uh, the, the tablets. So yeah. It's and awesome. so I'm just thinking here practically wise. So if um, if if I had to get some, I could just I could have 
would you recommend that I would have one before I get on the flight too? So like if I'm drinking some bottled water in the airport, put it in that so that I've already tried to hydrate myself as well as I can. I and would then- take it and then drink water with it. And that's how, that's the only way I really take it. Okay. And it was so funny. I went to do a conference in LA in 2011 and I was lucky enough to get a business class seat uh, on my travels. And I think I was so into what I was doing that I didn't walk up and down the aircraft like I would if I were on duty and working. And I think within the first half hour that I did get up, the difference in the color of my urine just told me how dehydrated I was from not being up on my feet, exercising, oxygenating my body by movement and, and, and the difference that made. So people who fly and sit in one place and stay there are doing themselves a disservice, whereas I could tell the difference when I take that supplement and then I do move or I don't move or when I'm working. How would planes actually cope if people followed the rules and got up and walked a lot? <laughs> Great question. Very badly. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, wouldn't it tip? You know, I, I live on a small little island and they're always worried about planes tipping over when they put people in it. So, <laughs> um, No, it's so true. Um, the, the truth is if everyone decided to get up and walk around and sh- – in fact, the nearest thing um, I can uh, – there are certain routes where people are culturally inclined to congregate and, and chat. And okay. it's the Italians and the – is it Turks? On, on, on flights that I've been on, once the seatbelt sign – goes off they all get up and they congregate around some people and there's banter and everything and it can be hard to manage so if an entire plane decided okay we're going to get up and stretch and, and move about the plane it would be a bit of a challenge and i don't think the uh, the crews would necessarily understand it but hey we're not at that point yet so if you can take advantage of it i highly recommend it for health reasons <laughs> yeah i i personally love doing that is like going to the back of the plane where there's a bit more space and just you know just doing some movement just actually yeah. just fidgeting a bit more rather than getting stuck um in the seat because it, it is hard um another one i'd like to find out is if you feel it's a, a strong factor or something you recommend is um wearing like blue blocking glasses when you're on the plane because i can think of one of my last big trips was when i went to australia and i had to do i was on an a380 and i was blown away with these tv screens like it was lit up like christmas in in the cabin because of all the screens in the back of the chairs and i just thought i'm getting inundated with unnatural light from everyone else's tvs around me and it's so disturbing so one solution was eye masks and of course when i wasn't wearing the mask is wear blue blocking glasses. Do you think that's a, another useful tip? Yeah, great tip. Um, it's uh, the, way, the way I've tended to explain it to people is the fact that, and it relates to one of the common words used in the same sentence with jet lag, which is melatonin. Mm. And um, obviously, if you travel west, you're extending your day. And if you're traveling east, you're shortening your days. Uh, As such, um, it's a known fact that the types of cancers tended to be, um, tended to be associated with um, flyers from some Norwegian pilot studies, I believe they are, um, are breast cancer, prostate cancer, and skin cancers. And 
the fact is that melatonin, as much as it is the, on, the sleep onset hormone of the body, it is also a super antioxidant. And receptors for melatonin have been found in every cell of the body, as far as I know. Therefore, if you're traveling, if you're traveling east or west and there's no regularity, chances are that you're decreasing your body's cue in terms of how much melatonin you're making or is being secreted and so on and so forth. That being the case, it's not proven and I'm not saying it is. I believe that there's a possibility that this is a contributory cause to people within the flying professions having those kinds of cancers manifest. So the idea is if you are flying and you are exposing yourself to a lot of blue um, blue light that's in the spectrum of light, if you can protect yourself or regulate that for yourself by using blue blockers, um, um, that, that is something that you, you should do, as well as um, going down the route of, you know, uh, supplementing for melatonin. I don't necessarily believe in supplementing with melatonin itself um, from a pharmaceutical uh, source, but I do like to support the hormonal chain that leads up to that because I think that in my training as a naturopathic nutritional therapist, you're actually handing over the intelligence of how to produce the melatonin your body needs to the body instead of inundating it with melatonin and then have the body have to deal with uh, uh, with that as such. So um, when you mentioned the East and the West too, that's going to be one of my questions was, is one of one direction more harder than the other? So if we use, let's use GMT London as center. If I had to go from London to LA, is that harder on my body than going from London to um, Singapore or Australia, that direction? Um, most people say it is, I, I don't necessarily feel that in myself, but my understanding is that the reason being is that one, you're extending the day and the other, you're chasing the day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You're extending the day going west and you're chasing the day going east. So I think it's Till Roddenberg, who's one of the foremost experts on chronobiology and the body clock. And he talks about the type of being, the chronotypes that we have. So for a for an early chronotype, I can't remember which it is now. Are these are these the kind of people um, chronot like your sleep Sorry, chronotype? The larks if, and the owls. Yeah, that's say. it. Yeah. So you and also someone else, um, other sleep doctor called it uh, bears and dolphins. Have you right. come across those? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's what um, we're talking about here. Yeah, depending on which what kind of sleeper or chronotype you are, um, going west can be a good thing or a better thing than going east. But the majority mm. of flyers that I know struggle more going east. So, for instance, I did a trip to um, Tokyo. Uh, we stay in Yokohama and beautiful place. But, boy, you really need to structure what you do in order to stay on local time. And I, I wrote a whole blog about how to do that and how I made it work. And, it, it, you know, it becomes that matter of knowing when to entrain, when to break off and when to get back into the flow. And if people have that understanding, it becomes an easier trip to manage other than staying on local time and sleeping 
throughout the trip because that's what you really want to do as such. But it can be done, um, but it takes more effort going east. Okay. And I think that was a great tip you've already given is that it's not just as simple as which direction, but also your 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 chronotype, like what kind of um, body clock do you have naturally with your sleep pattern? And that's a big factor in this too. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I think we've talked a little bit about infrequent flyers like myself, but then the frequent flyers, like what you just mentioned there with if, if you've got business people who have to travel and they have to be on their game, um, that's a harder thing for them to do, especially if I guess if they've got meetings where they have to go from London to Japan or something and to try function as you come off the plane because that's why they have business class so they can try lie down apparently yes. um, so uh, for those kind of people um are there any quick fixes for them to have energy when they get off the plane or because i know you, you'll be uh looking more long term how to avoid that jet stress but if someone's in desperate need like you know, i'm listening to chris right now i'm on the plane and i need a function um what could is there are there any other hacks that you could recommend for those business people well, the, it's, I would say it's overlooked, but uh, I think it's very valid. Um, one, I, I, my, my choice of caffeine does not come from coffee. It would come from green tea because caffeine accompanied by theanine gives alertness without drowsiness and it's long, if there's a longer curve. Um, okay. is my understanding, and that's quite helpful. But even if I didn't want to do caffeine um, um, as such, uh, what I do know from my experience is that if you have, if you're going to eat, you can, one, you can eat to stay awake because it's stimulating. It stimulates the metabolism. And on top of that, if you eat a protein, a more protein based meal than a carbohydrate based meal, that also helps alertness. So there are, you know, simple tips like that. Um, if someone wanted to do something specific, it's it's a matter of what how you know how far they want to go, but you've got like um, it's got um, how do you call them? It's that that um, that Wim Hof thing. The, oh, with the breathing and the cold thermogenesis, and yes, yeah. you know, hot cold showers, changing, mixing that up a bit. You know, that brings awareness again. But in all honesty, I think I would think of doing a couple of those and, and obviously you can't always do them in the middle of a meeting if you're falling asleep or anything but uh um you know um choosing a couple and then rotating them because you're what you're actually doing when, when people say to me so are you saying that you've never suffered from jet lag and the answer is no of course i have but what i've become adept at doing is increasing my flexibility and so i bounce back quicker mm than most people. Um, case in point, I got back from Chennai yesterday and I'm going to Chennai again on Friday. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And that's five and a half hours um, time difference uh, from, from London time. And that's what you basically teach your body to do. And that is through a host of things. So uh, back specifically to your question, I believe in all honesty, that someone who's a frequent flyer really needs to understand, one, that it's a lifestyle challenge and they need lifestyle problems. But for the specifics of what can you use right away, I would definitely go into adaptogens, the adaptogens that really um, give you an edge. Some are stimulating, but not along the lines of caffeine. 
Some are not so stimulating, but they build that kind of energy into the system the more you take them. So a supplement program that involves the supplements that we know and hear about is one thing, but adaptogens is a totally new level that every frequent flyer needs to make sure that they use in their arsenal. Okay, that's cool. So, yeah, because these adaptogen herbs, they help you cope more with stress, don't they? It basically is from what I can understand with them. Yes, they do. And they do that in respect to that they work through the, and I'm, I'll make sure I get this word right now, the HPA axis, mm-hmm. which is the... Hypothalamic. <laughs> Petrucci, yeah, yeah. Hypothalamic Petrucci axis. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's like a focal point to modulate everything else that's happening. And adaptogen, uh, the latest definition of them must have that aspect to it. So it's not just a tonic or a, you know, it's not just a single mode of action. It has a two-way action and they're said to have intelligence because they go into the immune system and if it's over-functioning, they can tell the difference and they bring it back to center. And if it's under-functioning, it can help you bring it back to center as well. So it's dynamic and being dynamic is what we want and we want to be able to use that indefinitely, which is by definition one adaption in it that an adaption is it's not a tonic that you use it for a while and it wears off you can continue to reap these benefits the more you use them and the more they become part of your system so yeah that, that's uh, that's an integral part especially for someone who flies regularly so this yeah. sounds like in your consulting that you do for people that that is a, a like a, a good part and you would then guide the people as to which particular adaptogenic herbs they should take um according to their their body there some some of the adaptogens, for instance, have um, well. You could uh, forgive me if I lapse into um, it's not. I wouldn't. Well, maybe it is um, nutritional speak. But there's the law of signatures, um, whereby a herb or a substance, through its shape or other aspects of it, tells you what it can potentially do or what it could potentially be used for. And in that line of thinking, for instance. Um, maca, which comes from South America and is a kind of potato, if you like, is grown at very high altitudes. Now, hey, where are you flying? You're flying at high altitudes. So it has some properties that are quite useful to the human body in that respect. There are other adaptogens like that that um, help you um, utilize oxygen better uh, that will be useful or they are specifically related to helping you build adrenal strength. Um, and, you know, you can, get, you can get a baseline of what everyone could use, like a multivitamin or mineral as such, but then you have those that can be used specifically in the context of you're a frequent flyer or you're an anxious frequent flyer and so on and so forth and, and work with the individual to find out what that is for them. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you actually cued me a little bit there thinking about the oxygen component because that's something else people mention why we suffer on planes because of the air quality in a plane. Um, Do you think that's another factor that influences um, your sleep or how you your energy levels? Definitely. Spot on. Yep. It really is. Um, the the air in the cabin is circulated and it's run well they're changing some of the airlines are changing the technology now but it you know the it, the humidity is quite different from sea level 
um, oxygen is less than it is at sea level. So it needs to be recirculated and that's done through the engines. Um, thankfully, <laughs> the pilots, <laughs> the guys doing the bits in the front, have access to a denser um, supply of oxygen than the cabin. Um, some people have suggested that in first class, the air is um, a bit better than in business and traveler, but I'm, I'm not yet. I'm, I think that's just a fanciful thinking as such. But um, yes, um, the oxygen quality is not as good. And that's why it's typically described as or, or can become um, a hyperbaric environment where there's less than ideal amounts of oxygen. Um, a hyperbaric uh, chamber, which gives you oxygen at a greater density or percentage, is something that would be ideal on aircraft. But I think, I guess, we've yet to see um, airlines um, invest in that kind of technology. So for the moment, if you are someone who exercises um, and you get on a plane and you have a good VO2 max, then that's going to stand you in good stead. So again, that's another tool for someone who's considering flying over a long period of time or does fly to make sure they go out there and they exercise themselves so they can hang on to more of that oxygen uh, that's available, um, whatever amount that might be um, during the time they fly. Yeah. I'm just thinking too, when it, then if you happen to be going to some sort of biohacking conference somewhere that you try jump into a hyperbaric chamber when you land too. Yeah. <laughs> Spot on, spot on. Yeah, definitely. Um, a, a great investment, a great investment. And yeah, there are the benefits of it too, definitely. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, so I think we've gone through quite a few things. Um, I'd like to maybe just find out if you have any quick little tips for anyone who wants to fly. Um, are there any other funky things about flying that you think, why doesn't everyone know this? You know, just it, be it like this is how you should speak to a flight attendant to get uh, more perks or um, this is, you know, how do you actually go from economy to business? Do you have a quick <laughs> quick little tips for someone to share? Well, what can I say? Um, I wish I could speak more highly of the people in my line of work. But in all honesty, um, I think it's it swings and roundabouts. You catch people on a good day, you catch them on a good day, you catch them on a bad day. <laughs> There's the the challenge is that you're in a limited you know you're on an aircraft with limited space and limited resources. Um, being compliant, um, I think, I, and as I say that, I sort of like question that. But yes, being compliant with what's asked of you, because in all honesty, uh, half the time they're just trying to get you from A to B with the minimum amount of fuss. If people are compliant, then I think. Asking anyone for anything, it's harder to say no. Um, and if it's someone who is, uh, what's the word? I think I think a bit of flirting, can, you know, can help. You know, <laughs> if, if, you, if you can handle a bit of flirting or manage a bit of flirting, you know, not suggestive flirting, but innocuous flirting. Um, yeah, that might, if, if it's available, then I wouldn't see a, a reason to refuse Um and I think these days, the people that get on the plane, whether you're at the very front or the very back, it's no longer this idea that, oh, you can't cross brand from one section to another. It's about how can you give that person an enjoyable experience while they're on the aircraft. So that can involve getting things from other cabins, which you don't necessarily advertise are available. But if someone asks, asks for them and you can go and get them, then, then fine. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think, okay. it, I, think, I think it varies. You've caught me there, Gary. I, <laughs> I know. I, put, I, I do put some people on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Chris, um, I always like to then link out to people so they can contact you or keep in touch or follow you. Um, you've got your book, which I'll link to. But are there any other sort of uh, social media profiles or any uh, websites that you want to advertise that I can put in the show notes for you? Um, I um, well, the book. The if someone wants to have a uh, uh, a quick look at what the book and I'm about, then it's basically farewelljetlag.com. Um, um, my uh, website is nojetstress.com. I'm on Facebook at nojetstress.com and I'm also on LinkedIn at nojetstress.com. Um, I'm Christopher Babioti on Facebook. Um, you know, I like to have conversations with people and we have a little group that's starting to gain traction to help people with questions related to that. And, um, yeah, any of the nice, exciting things that I'm coming across as well, um, people can uh, hit me up and, and talk to me about that in any of those places. And I'm also um, on LinkedIn as ChristopherBabioli.com, and I do a little sideline in terms of specifically focusing on sleep because that's integral, that's integral to being able to function well and have vitality. So I can be found at ImproveYourSleepNow.com. Those are all my .coms. <laughs> great well i'll put all the links in the show notes for people to follow you and contact you if they need to excellent thanks so much for sharing all your info today it's been my pleasure really and i'd love to hear from anyone who has anything else to add to this conversation this is a really important conversation for this time because as we keep on traveling we need to be efficient at how we do that so that we can land and have presence all this counts for nothing if you don't have presence to enjoy the trip enjoy the reason you went to travel whether it's business or pleasure and enjoy the process so yeah i'm really happy to share and i thank you for the invitation to come on the show 